You know, as we move into uh, the message today and our time together today, I believe uh, it's appropriate for us uh, to transition a little bit, even from where we were last week. If you're brand new today, this is your first Sunday, uh, we're not going to go into kind of all of uh, what we've faced as a church family uh, from last week. You can ask me after the service, I'd be happy to kind of share that. Uh, but majority of you are aware just of the hit that we've taken and some of the difficulty we've faced. And I think it's important for us uh, just to transition a little bit. You know, last week was hard. Uh, we mourned a lot. We grieved a lot. It was uncomfortable. Uh, I was uncomfortable. And part of that is just the reality that we shared together in very raw and real uh, emotion. Uh, part of the journey when things are hard and I thought about that. There was a part of me uh, that within me said, this is wrong. Uh, we shouldn't be doing this um, because it was so raw and real. And then the Lord just said, you know, Jeff, open up the Psalms. Uh, everything in the Psalms is just sort of this gritty, raw, real moments of life. And that's how you even know, how do you process difficult things? And I thought, Lord, you know, thank you. I'm, I'm proud to be at a place where uh, we can actually go on those kinds of difficult journeys together. And I think it's important that we do. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, the Bible instructs us and teaches us, but getting to watch each other process hardship, we learn. We learn how to walk through it. And so uh, it, it was hard. And as we walked through it, uh, I probably was sweating as much as you were uh, as we went through that. But you know, God met us and he will continue. Uh, to meet us. As I thought about um, kind of the shocking news that we all received, uh, it feels like when the news hits us that that's when the darkness started, right? Because that's the earthquake and then we feel it. But the reality is uh, when the news to us came out, that was actually the beginning of the light, isn't it? We were stepping out of darkness and into the light. And I thought, Lord, you know, you're good. Uh, you're good to bring things to surface. Even for Gordon, it's an opportunity to find his way again, for the family to walk in truth. And for us, all of us to say, Lord, we want the light. No matter how bright it is, no matter what it reveals, we want uh, the light. And God has a way of utilizing crisis in the life of his people uh, to to speak to us and to move us and to help us to see things. I was reading in a book, uh, the author was Greg Hunt, and he says this, much of the Bible emerges in crisis, whether in the conflicts and crisis of the patriarchs in Genesis, the highs and lows of Israel from Exodus to exile, the tragedy and triumph of Jesus as recounted in the Gospels, or the persecution and promises of the early church reflected in every book from Acts to Revelation. At each point, biblical faith meets crisis with hope. Isn't that the reality? It's the reality that God is seen through difficult times, and he will do that for us. I think because we were willing to grieve together in that way, uh, I thought about a trampoline. When you're on a trampoline, if you take just a small bounce, you kind of lift in a small way, right? But if you take a huge jump and you bounce way down on that trampoline, there is a, there's a bounce back effect. And I think uh, we've, we're allowing God to, you know, we've grieved well, we're grieving well, uh, but God will lift us. 
and, and bring us into the places uh, that he has. I had shared kind of where we were with an elder uh, at another church. He's a friend of mine. Um, and he wrote me this email and it just, I thought, you know what? I'm praying this for myself. I think this is for, for Hope Church as well. And I, I recopied it uh, into my journal as I've been meditating on it. And I want to share it with you because I think it's for all of us. And he said to me, as with so many events I've been witnessing lately in my life, this tragedy serves as one more example of the reality of the mystery of an infinite God who is never surprised, worried, or at a loss for what to do. As sad as he must be about it, his sadness began a long time ago. I pray that like Elisha's servant, he would allow you a glimpse of the chariots of fire that surround the enemy in front of you and this situation. I also pray for a deep calm from which wisdom will emerge sufficient to your task. Friends, isn't it good to know that the chariots of fire, that God surrounds the enemy in front of us, surrounds the whole situation, and that he will give us a deep calm from which wisdom will emerge sufficient for us uh, to move forward uh, as a people. And I'm encouraged that God was not surprised or taken off guard. And because he wasn't, he had us in a course of looking at Micah 6.8 that we would do justice, love, mercy. And the next one we were supposed to cover is to walk humbly with our God. I can't think of a better thing for Hope Church to do uh, with where we are than to seek the face of God and to do it in a humble way. And so we're going to continue on that track with what God wants to say to us today uh, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does it look like? What does it mean for us to walk humbly uh, with God? The root word in Hebrew means a life that is not proud, but is attentive and careful to the true will of God. And so we want to be attentive to what God has to say to us. If you think about the idea of humility, why is it important? You know, we certainly live in a culture that wants to gain attention for itself, wants to uh, build a life for itself, wants to be seen. And that is sort of even, it's sort of the American way to be noticed and to be seen. And humility isn't the way of the world, is it? But it is the mark of God's people. It is a significant mark and factor to God's people. Why is it important to be humble? I think of this one verse, and you might be familiar with it, in James chapter 4, verse 6. Why is humility important? Because God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So do you want God to be against you? The surest way to have God against you is that your pride is winning in your life. And so God will come against you for your own good so that you're humbled, so that you see him, that you recognize him. I don't want God against me, and I don't want God against us. And as we walk forward, I think the best posture in walking with God is just this posture of humility. And that's what Micah was calling uh, the people to. 
was to walk humbly with God. And I, I spent some time over the past uh, couple of weeks, really, just reading through the book of Micah. I sort of began to think to myself, how, how does Micah call people, call the people to this humble posture of walking uh, with God? And there were a number of things that stood out to me as I read through the book of Micah. Uh, the first uh, the first thing is, if we are to walk humbly with God, is simply to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God. Over and over throughout the book of Micah, he was trying to get the people to listen. The Lord was trying to speak to his people. And if you remember from other messages, Micah wasn't the only prophet sent to the people during this period of time, Right? Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, uh, there they were others that were trying to speak, and he, he was trying to get them to hear. And several places throughout Micah, I want to share them with you. They're up on the screen. In Micah chapter 1, verse 2, Hear, you people, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. He begins the book, Hear, you people, all of you, listen. He's trying to gain their attention. In Micah 3.1, he says, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. In verse 3.9, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Again and again, he chips away at it. In chapter 6, verse 1, Listen. Listen to what the Lord says. In verse 9, Listen. The Lord, and I love this, he's calling to the city. He's calling uh, to the whole of the people. How do we walk humbly with God? We listen. We hear the voice of God. As I think about how God does that in our lives, how does the Lord speak? How does he, you know, get our attention? And there's two ways that I think he does that. The first is the Spirit's nudge, I call it. The nudge of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives within us. He's active and he's working, and he begins to nudge us. Now, you know what that feels like. These moments where you might be in a service and it happens and God just starts pressing on something. Maybe it's general and you think, I'm not sure what that's all about, but I sense the nudge, the movement of God within my spirit. Sometimes it's like an arrow and it just like, whew, it shoots right through you and you know exactly what it is he's saying to you. But as that nudge comes and happens, we need to listen to it. We need to listen to it. Every time you dampen the nudge of the Holy Spirit within you, you begin to hear his voice less and less. Do you realize that? When the Spirit of God nudges you and moves you, and he's asking you and he's calling you to step into something, to see something, to open up to something, and you push it down and you don't respond to it, what begins to happen in our lives if we don't hear the nudge, we don't listen? is that we begin, his voice gets faint and more faint and more faint to the point where we really can get to a place where we're not actually hearing his voice anymore. And so I think Micah is saying, oh, people of God, Hope Church, listen. Listen to what the Lord wants to say in your life. Listen to what he wants to say to you. And so we have those nudges by the Holy Spirit. 
But God also uses, I think, everyday circumstances to speak to us. God uses everyday life events uh, to get our attention. As I, as I read through the book of Micah, I thought, what is the tool Micah is using to call the people to see things? And he starts pointing out things that, that are going on within the life of the people. And we've talked about them. They're not acting justly. They're, they're taking advantage of people who are already uh, in a difficult situation. So there's all these things that are going on in the life of God's people that are happening. And even uh, part of the kingdom is toppling. And so he's calling them to say, pay attention to some of these everyday things that are going on. Uh, you need to hear the message that are coming through these everyday things. And so I think one of the ways in which God seeks to get our attention uh, and we're not in the same kind of covenant relationship that the Old Testament saints were, where as uh, God's hand of protection was removed, it was a sign that they had broken the covenant. But God still uses the everyday things in our life to cause us to see things so that we listen to him. When difficult situations arise, we can begin to really see what's going on in our heart, can't we? When, think of any kind of difficult time that you have walked through, didn't it begin to reveal what you trusted in most? Or who you trusted in most? Right? You know, when, when something at the job starts shaking and it's like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. It's sort of like, wow, it all of a sudden begins to be highlighted. This everyday circumstance that I, I think I had more trust in the security of my job or what's in my bank account or if it's related to your health, and you start realizing, wow, where did my trust really lie? Some of the things that we want, when we don't get them, we find out oftentimes why, what, what it was within us that wanted that thing so badly. And so God is all the time speaking to us. And I think if we're going to be a people that just walks humbly, we become a people that have to listen intently to the voice of God, whether he's giving us that nudge and, and moving us internally, or whether he's using outside circumstances to say, wow, Lord, you're revealing things, uh, and I need uh, and want to pay attention. And that's a critical piece of, of walking humbly. Micah hits on another one. Uh, when we talked about loving mercy, we read Micah 6, 1 through 8. But the next verse uh, in verse 9, Micah 6, 9, you can turn there if you uh, have your Bible open. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Micah calls us to listen, but it gets a little bit more specific. So there's this listening to God that must happen if we're to walk humbly with him. But then he goes on in uh, verse 9, and he says, listen, the Lord is calling to the city, and to fear your name is wisdom. And then he says this, heed the rod Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Heed the rod of what? Correction. The rod of correction. And the one who what? Appointed it. God appoints correction in our lives. And if we're to walk humbly, we've got to heed the corrective word of God in our lives. God doesn't execute judgment upon us the moment we do something wrong. He sends messages. He does things to begin to get our attention. He seeks to correct us. And if we're to walk humbly, 
We need to heed the corrective word of the Lord and allow him to lead us to a place of repentance and cleansing in our own lives. There's a New Testament counterpart verse uh, to this, uh, this idea of heeding correction. It's called discipline, that God disciplines us. In Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, this says a couple of things to me. It says God's not surprised that we need discipline, right? He's, he knows that there are going to be things that are going to pull us off course. He's not surprised. And so a part of being in relationship with God is that he will bring some discipline, some course correction moments. And when he does, we need to heed what he's saying. He's not surprised that we that we need that correction, that we need that discipline. We can't fool God. We can't fool God. Galatians uh, 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever the seeds in your life that you're sowing those will turn into a little plant. It will sprout. That little plant will grow into a seedling and it will grow into kind of a medium-sized plant and then a big, a big tree or a giant plant. And whatever we're sowing in our lives, we're going to reap that at some point. And the purpose of God's corrective word for us is that we make a course correction. So the things that we might be sowing in our life, God comes after us. And he says, hey, here's a wake-up call. Here's a wake-up call. Here's a warning. I want you to make a turn from this course that you're walking in to going in this direction. And he calls us uh, to that. 1 Timothy 5.20 says, But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. And I think the reality of even some of the things that we've had to walk through recently as a church, so that others may take warning. And I think we have to take an honest look and say, Lord, is there any corrective word that you want to say to us as your people, both as a group, but even but as individuals, that whatever God wants to say, we would let him speak uh, to us so that we would, we would take warning. There may be a number of issues and areas of our life. We're going to be soon going through the book of 1 John. That's what we'd been planning on doing was going through the book of 1 John uh, as a church, and we'll do that. Next week is Pentecost Sunday, so we're going, to, we're going to do Pentecost Sunday and talk about the coming of the Spirit upon the church. But after that, we're going to go through the book of 1 John, and John highlights three key areas that I think we often need God's corrective word. And of course, we'll have a whole sermon in this way, but he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are mission-critical areas that I think God knows we as people are going to get off track and we're going to need to hear his corrective word. And so I want to say this. You might be sitting here and even through kind of what we've been walking through as a church and you think, man, I've been like, I've got a little dabble in this area of sin in my life. Uh, I think, I hope that it's like 
Not that you're like, I'm just going to live good right now. But friends, there is a warning there. And God's just saying, step away from it. So if there's an area of dabble, you know, you're not cemented in yet. You're not, but you know, it's like, man, this, like I'm touching into this. Uh, Go before the Lord, say, Lord, I hear you. I hear you. I hear your corrective word. I hear the warning you're giving me. Lead me in a fresh way. Lead me in a new way. And so if you're dabbling, I want to say to you, I think Micah would say to us, pay attention, just talk to somebody, move away uh, from that course. Others, you might be at a place where you're like, I'm stuck, Jeff, I'm stuck. Um, My dabbling has already got me stuck. I feel trapped. You are not trapped forever. You are not trapped forever. And that's why these warnings take place, and God will meet us. It is what the gospel is. If the gospel isn't real, we might as well go home, right? And so there's always a way out. There's always a door, and there always will be people here at Hope who will come alongside of you and walk with you. And I think, uh, you know, that's God speaking to us and will heed uh, what the scripture says to take warning. And because uh, if you remember when we talked about loving mercy, there's a point at which the kaboom goes off. And, you know, we've seen that. And that is a moment where light starts to shine. But God wants us to, along the way, listen to his voice and heed uh, his correction. Micah's situation was very interesting because uh, it becomes apparent what the people did with, I mean, did they listen and did they heed correction? Uh, And the sad reality is they didn't. In Micah chapter 2 verse 6, it says this, do not prophesy, their prophets say, do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. They were trying to muzzle the prophets. They were trying to muzzle those who were uh, helping people to listen to God and to heed his corrective word. And they're saying, stop that. Don't, don't, don't be a doom and gloomer. And uh, they were trying to muzzle the prophets. Um, it went beyond that uh, in verse 11 of the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 11. If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. It's sort of, hey, we don't want to hear anything bad. We don't, we just, we want to be happy. We want to be in a good place and just kind of tell us everything's going to be okay, even though God's calling to us and saying, hey, I want you to pay attention. I want you to heed instruction. And so that's what we're doing, Hope Church. That's what it means, I think, for us to just be a humble people. We're in a place of being humbled by God, and we receive that from him, and we say, Lord, whatever it is you want to say to us, We know you love us. That's why you correct us. And we will hear. And we will respond. And I think in this this walking humbly, Micah calls out those who would prefer just to be uh, religious. Because we can have an outward form of what religion or being religious looks like. And God is concerned about something far more important. When we get to a place of humility, what often surfaces? Our heart does, doesn't it? Our heart surfaces. And if we are to walk humbly, part of that is rejecting just the religious form, rejecting the religious form. We read uh, a couple of weeks ago 
about what that looks like, what religion looks like in Micah 6, 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? They wanted to just follow the form and not do a reality check and say, what's going on in the heart? But a humble posture forces us to look at what's going on in our heart. You remember King David when he ended up uh, in a pile of sin that was so thick, I don't, he couldn't get out, right? What, was, what did he realize? Now, he was a man after God's own heart, and he tells us something very important in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. He tells us really the same thing Micah tells us. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise, meaning God will not turn away from the one who acknowledges whatever needs to get acknowledged in their own life. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't turn away. I think if we are to be a people who walks humbly, the mere religious forms that are uh, easy to do uh, need to make way for us just being an honest people, kind of raw before the Lord and letting him speak to us. And the reality is, is this, um, those religious forms don't work. You know, as we try to overcome things in our life, I've never found that my efforts uh, really work. I need the Spirit of God and the power of God. Uh, Paul in Colossians 2 uh, speaks to this. Colossians 2.23, he says, It is true that these uh, religious-sounding rules seem wise, but rules like these don't help. They don't stop people from chasing after sinful pleasures. And what Paul was talking about in Colossians was these rules that seemed very religious, that took a lot of like self-discipline. But he's saying that's not going to work because what's in you, the wrong in you, is more powerful. You need a greater power. And there is one. There is one. We're actually going to talk about that next week. There is a greater power that God has given to the church. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's how we walk with him. The power of God helps us to overcome anything, any kind of darkness, any kind of sin uh, that comes at us. If we are to be a people who walks humbly with God, we need to listen to what the Lord is saying to each one of us, to heed whatever corrective word he has, to set aside mere religious form and be humble before him. In 1 Peter 5 5, uh, this is in the Good News translation. He says the same thing that James said in James 4 6 about God resisting the proud, but he, he, has, uh, he has some more things in it. In 1 Peter 5 5, uh, Peter says, In the same way, you younger people must submit yourselves to your elders. It's another good way of just remaining humble is that we all live in submission. Uh, 
But he goes on, and all of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. For the scripture says, God resists the proud, but shows favor to the humble. There isn't a one of us who can cast a stone upon another. God wants us to take the apron of humility that we uh, would serve one another. Sometimes you might be the one hearing a confession. Other times you'll be the one needing someone to listen to yours. But what God is asking of us, Hope Church, in these days is that we would be a people who walks humbly with our God. Jim, would you uh, come up and uh, continue to lead us? Would you just bow your head for a moment? I want to invite you, as the Lord has been working in your heart, if you want to be a person who listens to the Lord's voice, heeds his correction, and is willing to reject the form of religion, I want you to ask you just to stand. Would you just stand now as an affirmation that you in your life desire to listen to the voice of the Lord, that you'll heed whatever corrective word he has for you.